you guys. I love you guys. That's that's really kind of what's uh, what today's about. Uh, I genuinely love you guys. Uh, I, I love the church, and uh, that's essentially what we're going to talk about. I'm, I'm grateful for for you guys, and uh, I, I really sense in our church that uh, we love each other. I do. Um, we love the church. We love each other. There's just this sense of uh, relationships one way or another. Uh, not perfect by any means, um, but man, you just you just get that here and. Uh, I want to, you know, uh, about three years ago, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, I, I uh, on my own personal time, I, I took to, uh, to studying uh, the history of the church. Um, so I went on Amazon and I bought some books about the history of the church. Um, I, I wanted uh, books that were unbiased. Like, I just wanted just kind of like just the straight facts, like this is what happened, and the, the history of the church after Acts 28. Um, you know, what happens? You know, and all of these, these centuries and stuff like that. And I found these really solid books after recommendations on some unbiased um, reporting and uh, this great author. And man, after, after studying about the history of the church, let me just tell you, man, um, the, the first, the, let, me, let me be the first to tell you, the church is jacked up. <laughs> The church is really messed up. I mean, really, I'm being honest with you as I was studying the history of the church. It is really, really messed up. Messed up things have happened in the church, in the history of the church. And yet, as I was studying the history of the church, I found myself falling in love even more with the church. That's, that's miraculous. Like, when you read these things that happened in the past, like, really, you know, everything about my flesh was like, man, this, like, I hate this, you know? And my, my background in, and with faith and religion, you know, I kind of grew up just kind of, like, really salty about the church, and I didn't like the church. And to now be in this, like, position uh, where I'm, I'm loving the church, more and more and more, and particularly after reading these books about the history of the church, man, I, miraculously, I find myself loving the church even more and more, and it's, it's a miracle. My flesh was saying no, but the Spirit was saying yes. Yes, love the church, despite the church's history. The church is Jesus' bride, the church is the body of Christ. That's never going to change. That is never going to change, no matter what the church does. No matter what the church does, it will always be Jesus' bride. It will always be the body of Christ. But I'm afraid that we, we, we forget that too often. I'm afraid that we forget that truth, that reality, way too often. And that's really what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to talk about love for the church. You know, we've been in this study uh, called Caught Up. It's about being caught up in Christ, not in the world and just things of the world. It's about being caught up in Christ, which means being caught up in hope. It means being caught up in hope. And biblical hope is, is not like the, the hope of the world. The hope of the world is really just kind of wishful thinking. Biblical hope, Christ-centered hope, man, that's, that's hope that is grounded in reality. It's grounded in an, an event that happened in the cross, right? It's, it's grounded 
uh, because of the resurrection. It's grounded in a future that we know is coming. Man, it's grounded in things, right? And, and it's hope that has flesh wrapped around it. Jesus is the living hope, right? Jesus is the living hope. It's wrapped in flesh. It's not like the hope of the world, which is wishful thinking. You know, because of this hope, though, we're called to live a certain way. We're called to live a certain way. We're called, man, we're, we're empowered to transform, to grow. We're called to live a certain way. You know, it's one thing to say that we follow Jesus. You know, we might say that a lot. It's one thing to say that we follow Jesus, but it's another to prove and to testify to Jesus that we do through the way we live. Through the way that we live. So last week, it began a two-part section, really, actually a three-part section, where Paul, he begins to call the church to, to what? To live to please God. To live to please God. That's hard in this world. You're not going to get that message from the world. Man, the world, it, it doesn't sell product. Pleasing God doesn't sell product. You're never going to hear that. But that's what we're called to do, to live to please God. And not just that, but do it more and more and more and more. And last week, Paul challenged uh, the church and us to trend in sanctification in their sexuality. <laughs> we had a hard talk last Sunday, right? We had, we, had, we had a tough talk last Sunday. We're called to trend in sanctification of our sexuality, to fight for sexual purity, Right? That matters to God. That's a big deal to God. Paul is giving the Thessalonian church and us these instructions not to be good, but to be godly. To be godly, not good. Godly. So Paul now, today, he moves into this next area of our lives where he calls us to live to please God and to do it more and more, to trend this way. Let's get to the text. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's just a couple verses we're doing today, and they're powerful verses. They're powerful verses. Just two verses. I'm going to go easy on you guys today. Even next week is two verses. The scripture says this. It says, it says now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do, all, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. And yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. More and more. Just two powerful verses today. Paul commends the Thessalonian Christians for their love for each other. For each other, hope in Christ, hope in Christ drives us toward love for the church. That's the message today, essentially. Hope in Christ drives us toward love for the church, but this love has three characteristics that we see here in the text. It's got three characteristics. And the first one, love shows. Yeah, love says, love says, but love actually shows in how we act, how we live. It's not just, I love you. I love you, so I'm going to do this. It's, it's, it's doing love. Love shows. The Thessalonian Christians had a love for each other that was identifiable. 
It was identifiable and it was distinguishing. And this is remarkable if you think about it because several weeks ago, the first sermon of the series, uh, we talked about how these Jews and these Greeks and these Romans, they were in this synagogue, right? And Paul comes in, preaches the gospel, and all these Jews and these, uh, some Jews and a lot of the Greeks and the Romans, they all come to, they believe. They come to faith. And in a society back then, they all hated each other. They all hated each other. They were all against each other. They were all dis- they were in disunity. They did not love each other. And here comes the gospel. They believe. And now these Jews, Greeks, and Romans are united in love. Man, how does that happen? How does that happen to us? When they believed in God's sacrifice of his son Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, they received God's spirit. They received his spirit. In Romans 5, 5, it says, God's love is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Man, so when that happens, old things become new things in our lives. Old things become new things. Love of self. Love of self becomes love for others. Love for others. And a genuine love flows from a genuine relationship with God and it enables us It enables us and empowers us to love the way God loves. Unconditionally. Man, no conditions. No conditions. Our capacity to love, it doesn't come by trying harder. It doesn't. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. But yielding to God's spirit inside of us that he's given us, that spirit that is pouring out in our hearts, it's yielding to that. It's yielding to God's spirit inside of us. And we're being, like the text says, we're being taught by him. Right? That's what the scripture says. They were being taught by God. We are being taught by him. We're taught by him through his word. And the spirit works through his word. Where are we getting our cues on love? Where are we getting our cues on love? Where are we learning about love? Are we learning about culture from culture? Music? Are we learning from God's word? Are we learning from God himself? Are we learning about love from Drake? (laughs) Or are we learning about love from God and his word? Are we learning about love from the Notebook movie? I like that movie. I actually do. My wife gives me a hard time about it. I'll watch that movie whenever it's on. I do. I love that movie. It's a great movie. But man, if we're learning about love from a movie, nah, man. No, it's not working. It's not working. Are we learning from God himself through his word? If we're not taught by God, we won't love people the way we are called to, the way we are designed to. We won't love through God's love pouring out in our hearts. It won't happen. We won't do it. God is the only one qualified to teach on the subject of love. He's the only one, the only one qualified to teach on the subject of love. He is love. He created love. We need to be learning from him through his word. We need to be learning through discipleship with others, learning from others who are learning from God's word, right? Man, we need to be learning in that way. And the cross is the ultimate lesson in his love. It's the ultimate lesson in his love. God doesn't just say he loves us. Love shows. Man, he shows his love. This is what it looks like. 
ultimately. And he, he takes his son to the cross. And if we listen, love for each other will distinguish us. It'll distinguish us. You know, if, if let me put it this way. If, if, you're, if you're Dan and Sarah Brown, if you're Dan and, and Sarah Brown, by this all people will know that Owen and Oliver are their sons. They love donuts. Right? That's a distinguishing factor of Owen and Oliver. They love donuts. Right? All people will know that they are their sons. Because Dan loves donuts. They love donuts. <laughs> right? If you're my wife, Stephanie, I'm picking on people. If you're my wife, Stephanie, by this, all people will know that Sadie is her daughter. My daughter's a klutz. She's a klutz. My wife is a klutz. They are constantly banging their hip into corners of tables and hurting themselves and dropping things and, man, all kinds of things. Listen, in John, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, that's it. That's the one distinguishing factor. That's it. One. One distinction. You know, a lot of things make us distinct as people. Clothes, hair, or no hair. All kinds of things. <laughs> Personality, humor, all kinds of things. Affinity for donuts. Whatever it is, man. But a lot of things make a church distinct. A lot of things make a church distinct. Worship, worship style, preaching, preaching, teaching. All of these things make a church distinct. And those are all good things. Those are ingredients for a healthy church. Those are ingredients for, for a healthy church and we need them. But Jesus is telling his disciples what the one most important thing is. And that's love. That's love. Amen. Guys, as followers of Jesus, we must remember that all people are created in the image of God. All people are created in the image of God. Thereby having inherent dignity, inherent worth, inherent value. And knowing that. We must love all people unconditionally, even outside the church. Even people that don't look like us or, you know, whatever it is. All the differences that we have. We are called to love people unconditionally because everybody is made in God's image. That should distinguish us. Love for people outside the church. That should distinguish us. But Jesus tells us that there's another love that distinguishes us even more. That's love for each other. Love within the church. Think about that. Love within the church. Love for each other. Fellow believers. The church. That's the distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus. That's what he says. Jesus said that. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. That you love each other. That you love each other. Of all things Jesus could have said. Of all the things we prefer to distinguish, by our, distinguish ourselves by, you know, church size, number of people, head count, whatever. Oh, go shove it. <laughs> Love. I don't, God doesn't care, man. He wants us to grow and, you know, all this and that. You know, he wants people coming to faith and growing and transforming. But, man, if you're a church of 10 or if you're a church of 100 
and you've got love, you're killing it. You're killing it. If you're a church of 5,000, man, and it's just cold. It's cold and there's no love. You're losing. You're losing. You're not successful. You're not successful. Would somebody walk into Streamsong and say, wow, you know, there is a genuine sense of love here. Would somebody walking in sense that? Not perfect, you know, but man, like when they walk in, you know, are they experiencing just relationships and genuine hellos and conversation or whatever? I don't know what it is. People blessing other people or whatever it is. Or is that what people are experiencing? Man, the second thing we see here in this text, love goes. Love shows and love goes. Love goes. Love travels. Love travels. Love knows no limits. It says, and in fact, you do, all love, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Man, the, the Thessalonian Christians' love went beyond their church. It went beyond their bubble. It moved outside of their walls. You know, the, the, the local church was never intended to be an island in a community. No, it was never intended to be an island in a community or, or a lone ranger in God's work. Man, we should remember that we're not the only church. We're not the only church in Doylestown. We're not the only church in Central Bucks. We're not the only church in God's kingdom in the world. You know, when, when traveling, you know, as a family or, or whatever, I really try to make a point for us to attend a church on Sunday. If our vacation or trip overlaps on a Sunday, I really try to make a point to go wherever we are, to just go on Google and, hey, what's, what's a solid Bible-believing, gospel-centered church that we can visit and we can just get in there and just worship and maybe meet some folks? I don't know. It's awesome, man. When you get that perspective, when you get out of your bubble and you visit other churches, we've been to churches in, man, Nashville, Annapolis, Austin, Texas, Palm Beach Gardens. We've been to all these churches, man. And some of it is because, man, I love the church. I love the church. If, if, we're, if we're somewhere, man, if we're somewhere else, I want to see what the church is doing there. I want to I see these people. I want to I talk to these people. I want to encourage you guys to do that. Or maybe take a Sunday here and just go to another church. Now, don't all of you pick the same Sunday to go to another church. Maybe just like one of you. Go, go somewhere else. Get out of your bubble and go experience what God is doing somewhere else in another church. Guys, the test of our love for others, the church, is the ability to rejoice in the good that is happening in other churches. Or are we jealous? Are we jealous? You know, when all these people are coming to Christ in another church, are you happy for that? Or are we jealous? That's convicting for a pastor, you know? That's convicting for a pastor, for me, to think about. Are we heartbroken over the bad that is happening in other churches? Or are we just kind of smug about it? Oh, whatever, they're not doing it right. You know, are we just kind of smug about it? Or do we really feel bad, man? Do our hearts feel for a church that is struggling? You know, many, many churches are, are struggling because they're only interested in their own corner of the kingdom. They're not interested in what else God is doing elsewhere. You know, we've got our thing. This is our corner. This is all I care about. That's the no. How do we love other churches around us, struggling ones, bigger churches? Are we embracing opportunities to partner and connect with other like-minded churches? Or are we competitive? 
Are we competitive? You know, when I first, when we first started planting here, one of the first things I did was, was to uh, just kind of call all the pastors in the area and be, hey, hey I just, we're, we're planting here and I want to get coffee with you. I want to just talk to you, talk about the community. And I did that. I did that for a handful of pastors just to kind of set the tone and let people know we're not coming in to steal people from you. We're not coming here to, to, to compete. We're coming here to, to reach the Central Bucks community and we're here with you. We're not here against you. You'd be surprised how prevalent it is in the pastor community, how competitive pastors are. Man, if, if, I, if I ever get like that, may I repent. May I repent of that. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that right now we're sending preachers out to another church in Hatboro. There's a church in Hatboro struggling, Bucksmont Baptist. Uh, their pastor just kind of like bounced, you know, without like a lot of notice, a lot of notice. So they've had, they, they haven't been able to kind of like fill the pulpit and for, you know, a pastor to, to feed the congregation. So we've been sending Ross and Charles We've been sending Ross and Charles to, to preach the last three months at this church to bless them, to bless them. That's a sacrifice on our part. I'll be honest, in the beginning, I was like, oh man, you know, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a big sacrifice and I want them here, right? That's not, that's not the love that, that scripture calls us to. And it took, it took a little bit of time for me to be prayerful and be like, you know what? This is the right thing. This is a good thing. This is what a church of love does for other churches is to make that sacrifice and send out. And we've been doing that. And it ends at the end of this month. And that's been a blessing to that church. So that's just an example. Man, this, this third thing that we see here, this third characteristic. So love shows, love goes. And this third thing that we see here in this scripture, this characteristic of this love for God's people that Paul tells the Thessalonian church and us, it's love grows. Love shows, love goes, love grows. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. You remember last week when I was talking about the Google search bar? You know, when, and when you, search, when you search something on Google, all of these trends come up. It shows you what's trending in our culture. This is what people are searching for, right? And if somebody did a search bar of your life, what would they find to be trending? What would they find to be trending in your life? Is it love? Is it love for God's people? Is it love for God's people or is it envy? Is jealousy trending? In your life, is envy trending in your life? Is anger trending in your life? Is indifference trending in your life? Is apathy trending in your life? Or is it love and love for God's people? Here, Paul calls them to trend in love and to do so more and more. Don't get complacent. This was a healthy church. This was a two-month-old church that was healthy. Man, they were, they were loving each other. It was good stuff, man. They, they, were, they were boys. They loved each other. They, and he's just saying, don't get comfortable. Keep trending. You know, we have this 98-year-old neighbor, Lois. She lives by herself. I don't know how she does it. There's, some things, there's a lot of things she can do, but there's some things she can't. And I noticed that what was started off as a little weed in her backyard has become like this legitimate tree. <laughs> it's a legitimate tree. It's got bark. <laughs> It's a weed that has bark on it now. It's a tree. The thing doesn't stop growing. But she, she's letting it just keep growing and grow. It won't stop. 
Man, in five years, I want to see what that weed is now. It won't stop. It keeps growing and growing and growing. There is no ceiling to how much we can love. Just when you think, man, you know, I can't love anymore. <laughs> think again. God will prove you wrong. Some way he will prove you wrong. There is no ceiling. We must yield more and more to the spirit of God in us through his word and love more and more. It pains me to see the disunity in the church. It does. It pains me to see disunity in the church. It pains me to see abuse in the church as I was studying the history of the church. To see churches so underserved and under-resourced. To see churches just struggling. It pains me to see churches taken for granted and to have such a checkered reputation in the world. It pains me. This is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. You know, many people believe that the greatest reason for the decline of the church in America is stuff outside the walls and what's going on. It's not. It's not. The biggest reason for the decline of the church in America is what's happening within the walls. The church is not loving each other. The church is not loving each other. And people out there are seeing this. And it's like, what's the difference? Why would I want to go there? What's happening in there is happening in out here. That's the biggest reason why the church is declining. Our greatest enemy is ourselves. It's Christians. We're the greatest enemies to the church. Think about that. But I want to end on this. I want to end on this. It's breakfast time. Jesus uh, is having breakfast with the disciples. That's pretty cool. If you want to know what it's like to have breakfast with Jesus, you go to John chapter 20. You go to John chapter 21, actually. Sorry, it's post-resurrection. It's post-resurrection. They just caught a bunch of fish in the Sea of Galilee, I think it was. And now they're just hauling them in. And it's, it's the morning. It's breakfast time. So they eat. They eat. And Jesus, he says to Peter, he says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, of course. Of course I love you. Of course I love you, Jesus. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And then Jesus, he says again, he says again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's like, you just asked me that for the first time. Yes, of course I love you. You know I love you. And what does Jesus say? Tend my sheep. He says, tend my sheep. And then Jesus says again, a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? And, Paul, and Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He keeps saying it. Love says, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus was saying, if you love me, you're saying that. If you love me, you will love my people. You will love my people. And you will tend to them. And you will serve them. 
And you will sacrifice for them. And you will feed them. And you will love them. You will love my people. Hope in Christ. Hope in Christ drives us toward love for his bride. For his bride. For his body. The church. And it shows. It shows. And it goes. And it grows.